Welcome to Who's Hollering. Uh, I'm Thomas, and this week I'm joined by Devin. Hello. And Lisa. Hi. And uh, what are we talking about today, guys? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Hey. <laughs> That's a little more, um, it's a little happier than I actually uh, should be talking about Chernobyl, probably. Yeah, Chernobyl. you seem pretty, uh, pretty bouncy for a disaster that resulted in thousands of deaths. I mean, come on. Yeah. Now. Okay, but I, I know about it, so I'm really excited. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. So, so how did how did you uh, how did you learn about this phenomena from the mid '80s? Um, you know, I don't remember it happening. Um, I was, it happened in April of '86. I was f- four. Um, ah, but yeah, yeah, but um. But I, uh, I don't remember what caused me to look into it, but I know that at least 10 years ago, Patrick sent me a um, thing about tours that they do there, which caused me to look into it more because I did mm-hmm. not understand what had happened at all <laughs> or how it had gone down. And so I looked into it about 10 years ago, um, trying to figure out this place that he wanted to go tour. Um, and I was like, know that that's what i want to do for a vacation i mean this Um, could have been your honeymoon oh my goodness absolutely not (laughs) i think it's amazing but i don't know i don't know that i would i don't know that i would do it but yeah i looked into it then and so they um i didn't realize they were doing the miniseries and then patrick's like you know there's a miniseries now it's like what and have to watch it (laughs) like i had to watch it (laughs) So nice. I guess I should say, I should point out that specifically today we're talking about the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, yeah, right. Uh, that was just dropped after they panicked and realized that Game of Thrones was ending and they needed something highly cinematic <laughs> to throw out there. That's probably true. They had a lot of big names though. I was really surprised because yes. when Patrick said they're doing a miniseries on Chernobyl, I was like, "Oh, this will be good." <laughs> and I expected like, <laughs> I don't know, movie of the week, and it. I mean, it was really kind of star packed. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, for sure. Um, and, and just I- to just to get it out of the way, we should go ahead and say that there will probably be spoilers in. Oh, for sure. Thing, oh, if yeah. you care about <laughs> the details of the reactor plant that blew the fuck up. In the Ukraine in the mid '80s, and you're worried that will ruin something. Spoiler uh, you alert! You might want to nope out and come back next week. I was not really worried about getting any spoilers for Chernobyl before I watched it because, so I don't remember. I was seven when it happened, um, and I don't really remember it like the news dropping of it happening. But I remember it always being something that had happened in my life. So it's like one of those things that I don't remember watching it on the news, but I, but it's always been a part of my like mindset. Yes. And the only reason why I think that I didn't like follow it at the time was because it was so close to the Challenger disaster that I probably, I think that the space shuttle blowing up was the thing that I was focused on. Sure. So that's uh, the, uh, what's that guy's name? Siegel? And yeah. the yeah, writer for the show actually put out a podcast, one episode per episode of the TV show, where they talk about like the production and the writing process. And that was one of the things that I forget which one of them said was that like America didn't really pay that much attention because one, the Soviets were like, that's fine, it's fine, don't worry about it. <laughs> and it was on the other side of the world. And also, one of our spaceships blew up. So we were kind of like, we were a little we were busy. Right. We had a few other things to. 
to worry about. I think it's funny that, like, until I looked into it, like, Chernobyl was always, like, something they said happened. But, like, I had imagined, um, like, I guess as a kid, imagined it more like a volcano-type incident mm-hmm. where, like, everybody just sort of, like, where it just, like, kills you where you stand and you're, like, immortalized and stone right. or whatever. Like, that's what, <laughs> like, what I had in my head because everybody's like, oh, it's, like, this big... Um, just mausoleum of like everybody just dropped what they were doing and left and i was like oh but it's not it's not quite what happened so i was i was very confused at first when i was reading it because i was like wait what i think that was i think that was my impression too it was almost like a pompeii sort of situation yeah that's what i pictured in my mind before i had looked into it and then i was like Oh, yeah. Yeah. You almost, as an American, you almost had like this idea that there, if you could visit there now and you would like walk into an apartment building and there'd be like a table that was like with the plate still there and like yeah. vestigial rotten milk that was in a glass that everybody just gotten up and left. Right. Sort of things. And I mean, it really, it obviously wasn't really like that. I yeah. kind of feel like you could break talking about this into two kind of discrete parts. And the first part is just like the real life what mm-hmm. like what happened and also the portrayal of the miniseries mm-hmm. um and it kind of sounds like we're starting with the real life part and it's just the whole thing is super duper incredible to me that uh <laughs> that one it happened in the first place and two that it was such a big deal that was successfully like suppressed yeah <laughs> so, so that it wasn't made out to be a big deal at the time yeah yeah like everything is cool over here. Don't come over here. We're fine <laughs> over here. Russia's good, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and at the time, I guess I was living in Oak Ridge, and I guess that makes a certain amount of sense because I remember us doing like drills, like you know, atomic drills for you know potential meltdowns or bombings or something so we would like we would get underneath our desks like that was really gonna help (laughs) if we were to have to deal with uh some type of nuclear event um sure um but I remember that being a big deal and I remember um my stepdad at the time worked for Y12 and I remember them like investigating him and tapping our phones and all this stuff so you know, I had thought that all of that was just like general Cold War stuff, and maybe it was, but in hindsight, it was happening around the same time that this stuff was happening. So I don't know if it has anything to do with it or not, but I think it's really cool. Like, and um, this was a completely different time period, but like in the late 50s, early 60s, when my mom was in school, they, um, mm-hmm. and it was in Oak Ridge, it was here, but um, they had dog tags that they wore. For if anything like that happened, I guess they figured the fallout would be, you know, to here or whatever. But yeah, they absolutely were dog tags to school because I found them in her Tory box one time. And I was like, why do you have dog tags with your name on them? (laughs) (laughs) Is this some sort of like novelty item you bought? And she was like, no, we had to wear them to school. And I was like, I'm sorry, you what? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And she said at the time, like it didn't ever even... Like, it was not a thing that you worried about. You just didn't even think about it. But they did the same thing with the drills about getting under the desks and stuff. <laughs> like, it would help. And, right. um, and um, then they um, 
yeah, she said years later, like looking back, it it was a really like a creepy thing that they all had dog tags and like and everything <laughs> with prepared. Yeah, with their like you know super whatever personal information that they just walked around with on their necks just right. in case. There was a uh, there was a ninety nine percent invisible podcast not too long ago about people who I think they had their blood types tattooed on them. During the Cold War, basically for that purpose, it was like yeah, a small gosh. pilot program. And the idea was that like, if you were a, you know, a spry strapling in like high school and, you know, you may, maybe you needed blood, but much more likely maybe they needed to get blood from you to give to other people. Mm. Then it would just be handy just to like, you know, pull up your shirt. Let me see the thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Over there. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> that is crazy. But I really did have this idea that it was just like a huge explosion. It was like some sort of like, uh, almost like hybrid between Pompeii and, you know, the bombs dropping on, <clears throat> you know, a city or something. But it really wasn't like that at all. And even though I, I understood that later as I got older and, you know, saw like photos of the abandoned city and all of that. Um, on the internet, which were fascinating and eerie. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, but I still don't think I understood just how slow of an evil, (laughs) like the whole thing was until watching the series. Like, I don't think I completely understood, like, you know, there were some people in the front lines that obviously were pretty, uh, damaged pretty quickly, but so many people, it was just such like the slow, slow, slow death you know mm-hmm. well and i think one of the things that weirded me out the most about watching the show and i guess we can just kind of pivot into talking about the show but um one of the major themes of the show is this notion that um lying is bad <laughs> and uh, you're basically <laughs> yeah. stacking up a debt that will have to like whenever the lies break you have to pay the price for it and i think that like i'm not a fan of the uh government which has probably come up in several podcasts up to this point, but <laughs> I am kind of spoiled by uh, what I know about like the department of energy here and mm-hmm. even like FEMA and stuff. And just like one of the ideas that comes up real early in the TV show is that like, Hey, uh, this thing exploded. And then the apparatchiks are just like, no, that can't happen. That didn't explode. You're wrong. And then they just ignore it or whatever. And so like, I feel like if this had happened at any U S nuclear facility at the time, there would have been like a much more well-organized response and it would have been very rapid. And like, we would have actually understood the situation because we like, we gold plate shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the Soviet way just wasn't that. And that was the most striking thing to me. It's just like how lethargic the whole process was and how largely unconcerned for individuals it might've been. Well, and I think it, I think it was really, um, I don't want to say entertaining because that is not the word that I mean to use for this. But like, um, I think it was really interesting how they had lived under this like rule that they hated for so long that like what they wanted was that, you know, everybody was watching for everybody else. And like you, you know, you did what you were told and what every what was good for everybody else or else. And I think that that was really interesting because like, I'm not sure that I would not have just done stuff to go along with it. Like I want to be the person who would not have done that and who would have refused. But I don't know in that situation with all of that stress and like people yelling that I wouldn't have just been like, okay, 
<laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll do it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think and that's, oh, I was good. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I was done. I just was trying to <laughs> continue. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, and, uh, <laughs> but I guess before we get to like talking really about the media specifically, um, that, that is something that I find really interesting to think about because when you think back on like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. you know, you need like, you need food and then you need like a sense of safety, but like the one above that on the pyramid before like anything egocentric or like, you know, touchy feely is the need to belong. Mm-hmm. And that's really like, that's kind of scary when you think about it. It's like, you know, we are definitely willing to give up our, uh, like our own sense of being able to our own sense of agency. If it means that we can like be fed and feel like we're part of a machine and you know, history shows that that will work pretty well for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one of the things that as we were watching it, I, I was like, Oh my gosh, is this kind of why? Cause this is right before the Berlin wall fell. So was this, did this, you know, end up being a major factor and what kind of caused the collapse of the Soviet union. And then of course at the very end, they they just flat out sell, say that. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm glad that I'm paying attention that this was what I was thinking too. <laughs> yeah, the, the caveat I'll throw out is that I actually don't really know that much about Chernobyl outside of what the um, author talked about on the podcast. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of taking his word at a lot of it. But um, something that he said, and I've heard other places, is that Chernobyl was extremely expensive and it was extremely embarrassing. And, um, it gets real hard to maintain the sort of authoritarianism that the Soviets required to like hold on to the tail of that tiger when, you know, (laughs) stuff like this keeps happening. Right. Well, I imagine too, if, you know, you feel like you're, if you're trying to feel like you belong to something and you're trying to put so much faith into the state as being this, you know, can do no wrong type of organization, and then something as terrible as Chernobyl happens, and it's very obviously, you know, mistakes being made all over the place by institutions. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> maybe this, you know, institution that I had all this faith in is uh, not all that great. I found it really interesting, too, that even even like when the people went to trial, like they were still trying to convince people that it was like somebody at fault. Right. Yeah. This can only happen because this person did this. And it's like, "Mm, there are about 15 other things that went wrong. Exactly. I appreciate your words, but no. Right. Right. I'm not saying that those people didn't absolutely make mistakes. They did. Um, But like, yeah, that the the trying to blame, you know, the guy in charge of the room and the two people above him is just I mean, you're just covering a broken leg with a Band-Aid. Right. I mean, it's the the system itself that even caused them to be motivated in the way that they were to make the mistakes that they did. Yep. So one of the things that I thought was interesting specifically about the miniseries is the feel of the first couple of episodes versus, like, the last three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like... The the show opens at the moment of the reactor explosion, pretty much. And so you don't get any kind of like buildup or any kind of framing for what life is like before everybody is just kind of like staring at each other in shock and trying to figure out what's happened. 
And um, because they didn't think that a reactor, like the reactor part, could just blow itself apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one, they were very confused, but also their denial led them to make a lot of really dumb mistakes and like, you know, expose themselves to a lot of radiation on accident when they really should have known better. But the way that the whole thing is shot and put together feels a lot more like the movie alien than Mm -hmm. like a Tom Clancy, uh, movie, which it kind of, it kind of pivots into like a Clancy esque sort of political intrigue thing in the second half. But like really those first couple of episodes are like, you know, there's this invisible ghost monster that can touch you and it'll make you poisonous too. So you die horribly and wherever, whoever you've touched probably is going to die horribly. And just like the way that nobody had any idea what was going on was just like horrifying to watch. Yeah. And like watching it, I had no idea that radiation worked that way. Even now. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> I did not understand that the people could then pass it on to the other people. I was just like, oh, well, they didn't, they weren't near it, so they'll be okay. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. That's not going to work out for them. All right, okay. Yeah, and I just didn't realize how, I just didn't realize how radiation worked. I guess I didn't realize how it killed. Again, I was thinking about, like, a big explosion or Pompeii or, it, like, yeah, you know, it just, like, burned you up immediately. I don't think I realized that it was, like, this slow burn slow intense burn that essentially melted your face off like it was was terrible well that's the worst part about it right is that like um the the kind of dose that isn't immediately fatal has just done damage that you can't see is the other thing so um you know there's a category of people who i mean it's hard (laughs) to imagine how dangerous that location was just all around. But, you know, some of these people were basically like just completely nuked into black skin and in seconds because they were exposed to so much of this stuff. And some of them, you know, lasted days, some of them lasted years, you know, and of course there's like a long tail of people exposed to fallout further out that had, you know, thyroid problems or, or other cancers. And uh, just the wide range of ways that it could get you was just so unsettling. Right. Yeah. Because there's there's this notion of like this reactor core is supposed to be heavily shielded at all times, and now it's open. And if you like peek your head over a uh, balcony to the point where you like your eyeballs could actually see into that, then you've basically just microwaved your own head, and you're gonna die. Yeah, that poor guy that like knew, like he kept arguing with them, and they were like, "You go look at it," and I was like, "Oh, don't do it, don't do it." And like yeah. the guy standing there with the gun, and he's like leaning over, and I'm like, "Oh no." <laughs> Like, yep. just let them shoot you. It's going to be so much more pleasant. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this kind of jumps ahead a little bit, but as people were dying in the hospital, I really did not understand why they kept them in the hospital. Like, mm-hmm. if I if I understand that I've had that sort of lethal dose of, dose of radiation and I'm just going to, like, melt, I'm just, I'm going to ask for a bullet, right? Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not in it for the long haul. Um, but no, I I thought that was interesting. And I also thought one of the kind of mysteries of the first episode is two of the operators that were in the control room are pretty freaked out, like trying to tell themselves that they did nothing wrong. They did nothing wrong. Yeah. And, uh, one of the other guys sends them down to, uh, like turn on some pump valves or something. And the fucked up thing is that they knew 
Like, they were pretty sure. They didn't know, no. They didn't see it. But they were pretty sure that the fucking core wasn't there anymore. Like, there was nowhere for these valves to empty into. So, I mean, there was no point to do it. But they still, like, waded down into, like, super radioactive water and did it anyway. And, of course, they died. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what happened to a lot of people. Like, um, there were so many cases, and allegedly these are all true, of, like, Soviet collectivism coming together. And so you need a bunch of miners to dig a tunnel underneath the thing to install a, a heat exchanger. They did go to miners and say, you know, the the continent's fucked unless, you know, when Russia's really boned, unless you guys, you know, come to your duty. And they did. Um, yeah. There were the, the divers. There were divers at one point that have to go into a submerged part of the facility and kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, we're all going to die. If nobody does this, who's going to do it? That was a real thing that happened. Yeah. And, um, one of the authors, uh, the, uh, the author said that he was kind of of the opinion that if that had happened in the United States, we would have just evacuated everybody and put like signs around it and just been like, well, that's uninhabited. I mean, we're not going to send people into that meat grinder just to die. doesn't matter yeah. how many lives we'll save. We'll just move people. But the Soviet Union was not of that sort of mentality. They had a, uh, I don't think that the government class really had the populism, but there was definitely like an overall sense of like community. Yeah. In well, that population. And, and like the people there could move up from being like a minor to somebody in, you know, the government because right. that's how they did things. And so it wasn't just like, oh, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It was like, Hey, you could actually be somebody if you know the right people and you do the right things. You can, you know, do Maybe ABC prove and end up, yeah. Um, but I think um, you were mentioning earlier how you um, would rather have the bullet and stuff. And I, I you know, the guy that looked in um, that, that knew what was happening. Um, a lot of the people on shift that night were kind of new, like had been doing it That's true. for like six months. I don't know that they understood Oh, yeah, it was the B team. Um, I mean, nobody yeah, there was sure. senior in any and, way. And, like, the poor right. firefighters, oh, my Lord. And, like, the fact that they felt better, you know, and were, like, up playing cards, like, that was heartbreaking to me because I'm, like, they don't have any idea what is coming for them. And it was right. just heartbreaking to watch them, like, hey, everything's cool. I feel better. And it's, like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, that, that, was, that was rough. And just, yeah. like... The idea that you would have, like, so uh, towns like Priapit, Priapit, mm-hmm. whatever, Pripyat. were basically purpose-built around these reactors because, um, you know, it's a plant economy. So mm-hmm. you build a big power plant, you put a town beside it. And just the idea that, like, the fire station there isn't trained on what radiation is mm-hmm. was shocking. I mean, to be fair, they had absolutely no gear, like, yeah. even basic radiation handling gear so and much less like doomsday (laughs) core open gear i mean there just was not gear that would have mattered enough is i mean part of the thing but i mean i just it just seems so bizarre to me it's like okay we're gonna put you next to this nuclear power plant just don't worry about it (laughs) it's just spray water on it i guess yeah it's it's a roof fire it's totally fine you're fine you can pick you can pick these rocks up it's okay yeah Yeah. aren't they pretty (laughs) And that was like mm. the the horror of the first episode, especially is yeah. um, the you find out the motivations behind like all the events leading up to the explosion at the end of the series, but just this idea 
that anybody who is in a position of having enough knowledge and like uh, people would listen to them that could say the core's open, we're fucked, we need, you know, to get everybody out of here. Nobody in that kind of position was willing to accept the idea that the reactor could explode. Yeah, right. um, it was, it wasn't at that time a documented thing that reactors would just explode. It was kind of designed to, you know, pretty specifically not do that for the <laughs> most part. Yeah. Um, and they just, you know, even there's a scene where, um, Dyatlov, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, he's like, he's kind of the chief asshole that basically did make this happen. Um, he's the plant supervisor or something. He's, he's kind of a higher up. And he's like walking across a sky bridge and he looks down into the parking lot and he sees these big chunks of mineral that look like graphite from inside the reactor core. And he looks at it and then he keeps walking. Yeah. And yeah. like, I just, uh, I don't know the, the amount of denial that was going on there and the cost of that denial was incredible. And then as the series goes on, it turns out that that denial isn't just like this one guy. It's the entire like political structure is built right. on denialism. Yeah. Right. Um, I also, <laughs> in that first episode, like the, the people on the bridge that were like, Oh, it's so beautiful. And they're like mm-hmm. dancing in the bits of like stuff flying at them. And I'm like, I know. Oh, and like yeah. you can see the kids and the babies and like yeah, just people just and like, they have uh, no idea what they're doing. And it's just, Oh, no, no it's I have to imagine that anybody living in Oak Ridge in the eighties would have gotten a pamphlet at some point that was like, if soot is falling from the sky, to, just go the do fucking not side. Dance in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably not a K, uh, like a K facility, but it might be. So just go inside. Yeah. 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 And I think that that is kind of a, a pretty big difference between <laughs> the U S and, and Russia at that point. Like, I think that the ability to be so I, I don't want to use the word patriotic because I don't think that's necessarily what I mean, but like that innate belief that like everybody it's for everybody's good and you're, you know, Russia's the best and they won't let you, you know, whatever. Right. And versus like the U S we're like, mm, somebody's going to question that <laughs> like before they do it, somebody's going to question it. Yeah. And well, so also, I, think, I mean, you feel like you can, you know. Yeah, you absolutely have a lot more um, freedom to do that, to question mm-hmm. and, and to say, and even like in the 80s, Oak Ridge wasn't like the secret city anymore. You didn't have to, you know. They still had checkpoints. but They did. They did. But it, I mean, like there were. Um, the people knew where it was. <laughs> yeah. And there were yeah. documents. There were documentaries about it. I mean, they weren't yes. super helpful, but like I remember watching them um, late 80s, probably early 90s. I remember watching, you know, small documentaries about what what they were doing there, you know? So, right. And that was in school. So they had to have had them for like, you know, adults and stuff. But um, but I, I think that that would be a, a pretty huge difference in that. Like, I don't think we would all just be like, oh, that's really pretty. No. I think that. I think that we would go into it with more knowledge because we we don't trust the government like they trust their government. Right. Exactly. Um, I have to say that the fourth episode killed me. Like, I wasn't sure. Which one was the fourth one? That was the the one with the um, 
Elimination Animals? teams, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Patrick said, that's not the part I thought you would cry at. And I was like, I don't know <laughs> what? what you thought was going to happen. <laughs> but uh, really? Yeah, that that part, like, no. I watched that episode <sighs> and I was like, Patrick's like, do you want to keep going? And I'm like, no. No, I'm not even sure if I want to watch the last episode ever. And he was like, it gets better and i'm like i mean it's only people dying after this i know i was like okay by getting better do you mean i don't have to like even halfway witness like animals being shot and he was like yeah yeah like okay well and i mean none of this i mean this episode should really only be listened this uh, podcast should only be listened to people uh listened to by people who have seen all these episodes but like just to be clear that episode was basically just like this young guy showing up in the tent city that all the army guys are in and being told that his duty is to walk around shooting pets yeah, because all the animals are contaminated and they have to chuck them all in a pit and cover them in concrete. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. Just go shoot all the puppies. That's fine. Yeah. Basically. And the, um, the author in the production podcast said that like, there were even more like devastating stories about that kind of thing that mm-hmm. they just, couldn't bring themselves to put into the show basically wow um, yeah but the, like, I, that was that um, was stuff that happened yeah i have the books um that he was talking about um on hold at the library i haven't gotten them yet so i haven't read them but um but i have them on hold i'm not sure i'm not sure how well i will handle reading them but i'm yeah. getting them just to see like because a lot of the stuff he mentioned was really interesting and i thought well you know i'm sure that that within those five hours or whatever they didn't get to everything that was interesting you know you just have to cut some stuff and right so, of course um, oh, yeah. i'm gonna end up reading them and uh, trying to read them and see how far i get without like you know <laughs> sobbing to the point where i have to put them down of course yeah i um i actually looked to see if uh, the one that i looked for was voices of chernobyl mm-hmm. and i looked to see if it was available on audio and it's not and i'm kind of glad because i i literally just won't read uh words <laughs> at this point in my life right sure. now i just have time but if it had been available on audiobook i feel like i would have i probably would have jumped on it and probably regretted it cuz there's there's got to be a lot of like just really heartbreaking shit in there yeah yeah um sometimes i get books like that and i'm like okay well i'll read through the stuff that you know looks like it might be okay <laughs> or like yeah. fairly you know fairly depressing <laughs> but not like exhaustingly depressing and then the rest of it i'll just be like oh look i'm so done you, re- you re- redact some of the articles but not the table of contents right yeah uh, <laughs> nice. uh-huh. um oh the like one of the heartbreaking stories uh, uh you know talking about those is the, the ludmilla storyline was basically oh my true, gosh apparently. yeah, yeah. that broke my heart awful yeah and i mean that whole time, I assumed that that story was too, like, purpose-built by a screenwriter mm-hmm. to be a stand-in for so many other things. And when they mentioned on the podcast, it was totally true. And I think he said that that woman's still alive today, and there's been documentaries made about her and stuff. I was yeah. just like, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, she still lives in Russia with her son from that later. Because so- yes. they told yeah. her she couldn't have kids. And then she was like, oh, <laughs> 
Look at that. Whoops. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think maybe the term should, would have been shouldn't have kids. I mean, that's a... That's a solid, solid point. It's a, um, that's a bold fucking move. Uh, having another kid after that exposure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know. Yeah. I don't... I mean, I don't know how some of these people lived through all of this and just were still, like, day-to-day functioning. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things, and I'm just going to be quoting the friggin' podcast with the writer on it this whole show, I guess. But sure. one of the things that he points out is that that region is just like historically so soaked in blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, you, you got an impression you, of that when the old late with the old lady milking the cow, whenever yeah. they're trying to make her leave and she kind of goes through the whole history of all the shit she's had to go through and you know, uh, things that she's seen. She's like, whatever, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, one more thing. <laughs> like, oh no, something's going to kill me in 10 years because of radiation. I'm fucking 90. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, the, the screenwriter t- spoke specifically about how that was designed to be a stand in for that sentiment. Cause it was pretty prevalent. I mean, if you were still there, you know, you, you just had this in your genes to be a survivor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not to make everything about me and I'm not trying to pay play the like pain Olympics, but like definitely when you go through something like a really tragic a second time, it's a lot easier to be like more clinical about it than um, than like emotional and personal just because you're like, okay, no, I know what's happening and I can just shut part of this down and it's cool and I'll go over here and. You know, I'm either going to live through it or I'm not. Right. Well, I, I've always thought that um, both grief and acceptance are basically just muscles. And that, you know, if, you, if they get exercised, they, they get better at their jobs, which is yeah. sad. But um, what yeah. you guys, I've, I've had this thought about um, Chernobyl specifically. Like, mm-hmm. right now it feels like everybody, well, no, I take that back. Like, every woman I know almost is like deep into true crime or true crime adjacent. And uh, Lisa, you're, are you a true crime person? No. Are you Mm-mm. like you and Devin are like the only two out of our friend group <laughs> that aren't? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is just definitely the wrong crowd, but it feels like this is like the largest true crime thing that there could be that there's like the serial killer core. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did all these that. yeah. Definitely. And, uh, and I wish we had a true crime run here to sort of like validate this idea. But like, you know, part of the true crime thing is like the fetishizing the details and mm-hmm. like the, uh, the motivations and like all the things that happened. And I think that the documentary did a really good job of being respectful about detail. It looks yeah. like it tried really hard. Um, right. my, I'm like fascinated by true crime, but also like, have to sleep with the light on so i avoid it mostly but like (laughs) i know a lot of stuff about a lot of really weird things um but if it starts to be like something that could happen to me we have to like back up off of it (laughs) yeah um but yeah i know a ton about like different like small (laughs) weird things and i i read a whole whole lot about this guy that was a serial killer of young of younger guys because guess what you know one i think he's dead two it can't happen to me (laughs) that's that's sort of how i i I deal with true crime so like chernobyl can't happen to me because it's in russia it's okay i mean like it could technically happen at oak ridge but like i'm far enough away i think i could you know 
I think I might get off with like a small amount of cancer, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, you've got East Tennessee air quality to contend with, so I mean, yeah. But anyway, it's fine. (laughs) Uh, Now, I mean, I think that, like you know, it's said over and over again, Chernobyl really could have only happened in the Soviet Union. Yeah. Right. Well, and so many, like they overlooked so many, so much protocol in order to do it. Like, I think if they had, um, and like, this sounds so stupid, but like, I think if they had been doing it with the day crew that maybe had been there longer, they might've had a little more pushback. Yeah. Maybe, or maybe not, or maybe they would have been more successful. Um, I mean, one of the things that the author talked about was how they have recordings from the computer logs of the buttons that were pushed, Mm -hmm. but some of the things that happened with the power levels do kind of indicate that one of the technicians fucked up and that's why it dipped. And that's why they responded the way they did. Um, and absolutely not to say that these people didn't argue cause they did. I mean, they just, I don't think they had a whole lot of knowledge or experience to argue about that with, but like there were several guys in the room that were like, this is not what we should be doing. Yeah, yeah, and I think that what's what's funny about that to me is that, like, as somebody who does operations for a living, I've definitely been in the situation where, like, I've handed control over to the B team or the night shift, and I'm just like, in my head, don't touch anything. <laughs> don't, don't, like, make any changes. Like, uh, just don't blow it up. If you just don't blow it up, that's all I want. <laughs> and it's like, you, you have one very specific job. <laughs> Yeah. And, well, I mean, it happened, but the, I think that rhetorically from a storytelling perspective, the way that the show jumps in with like you seeing these people, you get, I don't, if you got like title cards showing their like names and positions, I missed them. I don't think you do. I don't think you do. Really what you have is like one angry older guy who seems to be in charge because he's a giant asshole and everybody's being deferential to him. And then a bunch of like shocked people who are like in shock trying to figure out what was going on and you see that guy continue to be an asshole and you don't know like is he just like the king like king big shit of the night crew or like what is his deal yeah and like the payoff at the end is incredible when you find out like the narrative in the like 10 minutes before the thing Mm -hmm. i think it's really interesting too that they just throw you in right in the middle because you're as shocked as they are (laughs) like you expect it to sort of like start out with like the day before or like hey you follow this one person through the whole thing and it just starts with hey there's been an explosion and you're like wait what just like the people in the room (laughs) yeah Yeah. oh you have something done no, that, I was just agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you you kind of have to do it that way for things where, like, you go into the show knowing that it blew up, right? I mean, yeah. any any moment that you're shooting before it blows up is just people, like, looking at their wristwatch, like, okay, when's it going to blow up? I know it blows up. And, like, if you try to do really much of anything before that, it probably comes off as, like, super saccharine if you try to, like, make you, if they try to make you care about characters before it blows up. Yeah. And really just like starting like putting that card on the table at first, I thought was pretty brilliant. And then at the end, when they reconstruct everything happening immediately prior and you find out that like that guy wasn't just like the biggest asshole in the night watch. He was a guy relatively like the guy over the plant who was angling for a promotion and was there kind of just like madly and recklessly driving a bad idea further and further into the ground, <laughs> resulting in the explosion. Yeah. It just like it all these pieces like fall together and click and it was just so satisfying to like get that payoff and that closure 
Yeah. I, yeah. um, and I, I know we haven't talked about him much, but like, I, I really loved Lagosov. Is that how you say it? It's been a while yeah, since Lugosov. I've watched it. Lugosov? Lugosov? Like, I don't know. Lugoslav. I think. Yeah. Um, we could call him Main Science Man. Yeah. Yeah. Main Science Man was, <laughs> I mean, like, you could see him trying so hard um, in a in an area he's, you know, familiar with, but trying to convince the government. It was just, like, that was also heartbreaking to right. see them try so hard to convince the government that these things are happening and the government just being like, um, everything's fine over here. Like, <laughs> newsflash, you know, there's no more hunger in the world because I ate a sandwich today sort of thing. <laughs> It was, oh, yeah. it was crazy. And, and how, like, personally, he took all of it. Yeah. And, and I think that that is kind of paid off a little bit towards the end when you kind of find out that he had an idea in the back of his head of what might have caused the explosion. Yeah. And that he might, he like, he was kind of in on the research that got the other guy blacklisted. Yeah. So you, know, you find out that the, the super secret thing is that, in order to cut costs, they put like super fuel on the tips of the things that are supposed to calm shit down yeah. and you're never supposed to pull them all out, which is exactly what they did. And then they shoved them all back in and what goes in first, the super fuel. So everything blew up and like that was a known flaw that he had heard about basically. And now he was just like standing next to this giant pile of corpses and yeah. having to deal with the guilt of having been in like this cast in this and i guess like if you kind of see this as a collectivist issue like your responsibility and role as a scientist who is bought into the communist ideals is that you are supposed to make sure that like you know your comrades don't fall to these things because these things are your job and yeah here you are um i liked that it was a real person like that um I, i mean and i know they they couldn't make it like word for word, the real people. But I liked that for the most part, like they used real stories and they used the people's real names and, you know, tried their best to do like um, the records of what they actually said in the room. Things like that I thought were really, um, really great touches for something that honestly, if you had asked me after I watched it, whether or not, you know, how real it was, I was like, I would have said, oh, well, they probably added that for, you know, effect or, you know, yeah, oh, this story is probably a little more dramatic than it needed to be. And it's like, oh, okay, less dramatic. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of my major, I guess, my major criticism, not really criticisms, but just disappointments maybe, mm-hmm. is the fact that the female scientist character was made up. Yeah. And that... I think, I feel like that, and I forget her name, but I feel like it doesn't matter because she wasn't real. Um, <laughs> like, I feel like that is, that was, that was very discouraging to me. I mean, I, I understand for dramatic effect why it would have been difficult, I guess, to show, you know, all the teams or the dozens or whatever of scientists that were working hundreds. on all this research. Yeah, hundreds. they said hundreds. Okay. Uh, that was the part where I fell asleep, so... <laughs> that's at the very end yeah Deb has um, to rewatch the uh, last episode yeah yeah um, I, it, it was late last night but yeah um, I um I appreciated how many how many women apparently were in science there yeah um even in the 80s like it's not something you would think of as 
them being progressive, but it kind of was. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I don't, I guess that maybe the composite character in uh, Kumslov. Kumyuk? Uh, Kumyuk. Yeah, Kumyuk. Um, I think that that composite character was interesting in that it represented that um, the Soviet <laughs> the Soviets kind of saw like medicine and science as something that, you know, the uh, fairer sex could contribute to. But I think that I was actually really disappointed when I learned that it wasn't quite so much uh, like these three people taking on the world, so to speak. Because, I mean, part of the dramatic tension, I think, and part of the atmosphere is very much just like, why is there only one scientist here? It's like, is the government response so inept and like corrupt and trying to bury it so hard that they're only letting this one scientist work on it? And then like, uh, you know, this secret agent lady scientist kind of breaks in because she's got like all these connections that aren't really explained. And she like speaks to somebody in code words and figures out that they're going to do a bad thing and yada, yada. And like, she was kind of superhuman in a way that I don't like mind, except for the fact that it was totally done in service of just like cutting out the fact that it was hundreds of people working on this thing. And I think that the tone of the show would have been different if Legislav was like at the head of a team. Right. Yeah. I really liked though that, um, that apparently in, in real life, like the people um, in Belarus where she worked, like they figured it out that what had happened because yeah. because of the specific um, combinations of whatever air molecules or I am not a scientist. Yeah, the, uh, the, the isotopes <laughs> that were blown. Or, the the yeah, fucking the nuclear isotopes, fuel yeah. that was floating on the wind is what they found. You know, they wiped yeah. it off their window. And like that is a scene in the in the show. It wasn't, you know, obviously this fake person that did it, but it, that was an anecdote that they shoved into her composite. And it, it happened. And that's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. Down to the sure. point where they were like, well, it can't be Chernobyl. That's however, that's like hundreds of kilometers away. There's no way it could be Chernobyl. But call them and ask. And the phone just rings and rings. And yeah, that was an actual that was an actual thing that happened. Nobody picked up. Yep. Well, they kept the line so that nobody would find out anything. Yeah, yeah that the was, old, that was the old guy I told them to. Super interesting <laughs> was they had that old communist, uh, that old revolutionary. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, it's the mid '80s. There are going to be old guys like that who were believers and revolutionaries, just like still floating around. And his whole shtick was like, you know the state has to protect the people. And right now we're the state and we're going to protect the people. And you know, it, they don't know it's in their best interest, but we'll take care of them and we'll be rewarded for it. Right. Yep. Welp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not so much. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was really interesting cause I, I can't remember if it was, I think it was also, um, you know, fairly, close to real life that Dyatlov um still was sure that that's not what happened like he you know he was like well the U.S. bombed us or whatever like it just could not have in his mind it could not have happened even after the whole thing like he was just like yeah no that wasn't us allegedly he was a pretty rich character in in real life and just continued to deny it to like uh I think he's dead now but he basically denied it until he died oh yeah for sure yeah um, it's a unstable man. Yeah. One of the things we haven't talked about yet um, that I like literally just gave me chills was um, when the when the guys went up on the roof to like um, shovel the stuff off into oh the thing. Oh my gosh, yes. And like they, it was like real time doing it. Like 
second to second, like what they were doing. Oh, oh my gosh. And anytime the um, decimeters went off, oh, mm-hmm, that made mm-hmm. me just, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> so creepy. Yeah. So creepy. Yeah. And just, um, yeah. yeah. They had um, the lady who did the like background noise went to a real like nuclear plant and um, and like taped just the odds and ends sounds that happen, you know, the white noise. Yeah. And I thought to use for that. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I I thought that was uh, the one hilarious and sad anecdote from kind of that entire thing was the idea that um, they couldn't get a robot that could survive the radiation required to just like push this crap back in the hole. So they, you know, asked the West Germans if they had a robot that could do it. And they're (laughs) like, sure. And it turns out that they, uh, that when they were talking to the West Germans, they might have fibbed a little and said the radiation count was like only a. (laughs) tenth of what it was no, no yeah. big deal it'll probably round up it'll be fine and it turns out it didn't and the robot just like fucking melted and uh ended up in the scrapyard because it's like super duper radioactive even today yeah i mean they said it's still there just you know sitting because who's gonna wow. move it <laughs> yeah <laughs> now, but that's crazy okay. i was gonna say that that led into like one of my favorite scenes in the whole show where um uh, Stellan Skarsgård was yeah. just like screaming and raging into the phone and he's like we're gonna need another phone because he's just yeah. like throwing things and raging and that that was one of my favorites yeah I mean yeah. his his re- his reaction to that was just kind of like I felt released from it just like this whole thing this entire fucking thing is so ridiculous god damn it yeah, and just having him go nuts and like have that tra- trailer almost rocking like on its side to side because he's just <laughs> raging so hard. Yeah, was incredible. And fucking Stellan Skarsgård, I I don't know what it is about him, but he is an incredible screen presence. Agree. Yeah, I felt that about most of the cast. I mean, to be fair, but yeah, I mean, him and geez. his eighteen kids are really really good at acting. Does he have eighteen kids? He has a bunch and several. <laughs> like the one, the one son was it. And the other oh. son was on um, that TV show with all the vampires that was really popular. True Blood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, I can't remember Wait, which one. was he the pretty Scandinavian vampire? Yeah. No mm-hmm. way. Yeah. What? Aaron? Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy crap. I can't remember That's his wild. real name, but it's something Alexander. Alexander Skarsgård. Holy shit. And then the other right. one, I don't remember his name for sure, but wow. Bill, maybe? Bill? St- he has a bunch of kids. Now, those are the only two I know about, but I have read he has like eight or ten kids. Like, it's a lot. But he's really good at it. His kids are really good at acting. Like, But nice. everybody in this, the um, the guy that played Legosov, his dad yes. was um, the first, the first Dumbledore. What was his name? Oh, my God. Yeah. I forget his name, but I know who you're talking about. That's his dad. Wow. Oh, my God. I think. That's crazy. Let me I mean, make sure true. I'm not that's lying crazy. to you. Yeah. Go Google that one. <laughs> um, let's see. Who Get was that IMDb. guy? Right? That's, that's what that's, I'm doing. <laughs> that's Jared um, Harris. And I yeah. love that guy. Richard Harris is his dad. Isn't that who played? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure. Wow, yeah. man! He uh, he does a character on the Expanse, which is so like diametrically opposed to Lagoslav. If you haven't watched the Expanse, you need to go and just look up like this terrorist cell leader that he plays. 
because it is just like an incredible dynamic range that this guy has. That's awesome. I watched the first few episodes of the, no, the first season of The Expanse, Um, but I've read the books. <laughs> so I, I think I know who you're talking about, but yeah, yeah, I uh, can't forget yeah. the character's name because I'm right, yeah, because character but. names are ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but he's amazing, and uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know that whole that just that whole cast. There was not a single dud on the cast, and the yeah. decision they made not to try to fake Russian accents oh my was gosh. brilliant. Yeah, that could have. Yeah. I mean, that could have really ruined the whole thing for me. Yes. It, it all sounded like European and exotic to our dumb American ears, just the way yes. it was, because no, there were no American accents. Yeah, yeah. and they chose that specifically. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that all of the background stuff, um, any was sort of announcements, Russian. was still in Russian. All of the signs yeah. were still in Russian. When he was describing in court the different things and like clearly explaining to me, someone who does not science, what happened... They, all of the things he was using, all of the little signs were in Russian. But, yeah. like, yeah. he was explaining it in English, obviously. So, like, it was very interesting. I felt like, like I kind of felt like I must have had my TARDIS nearby that was, like, translating <laughs> for me, especially because everybody was speaking in British. That yeah. was sort of my impression of watching it. Like, well, it's okay. I, I have my TARDIS. It's, it's, they're actually speaking Russian, but it's translating for me. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't mind foreign films where they're actually speaking the language and I'm having to read it underneath. Yeah. But like when people just have the accents, it makes me kind of insane because I'm like, but you wouldn't have the accent to the other people in this country where you are. <laughs> like, right. That's not what you're going to sound like. So when people do accents where like all of them have Russian accents, you're like, but you're a Russian and you're talking to another Russian. You wouldn't have a Russian accent. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just one of those small things that, like, makes me a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. But it was such a good show. Like, I I have told everybody, <laughs> like, you have got to watch it. <laughs> Until I saw episode four. And then I was really upset with it for a while. And then I went back. You know, <laughs> I'm back around. Like, okay, yes, watch this. <laughs> yeah. And there are a few people where I'm like, mm, maybe don't watch it. Because, like, there's a... <laughs> there's a uh, like a, a website called Does the Dog Die? <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. We talked so, we talked about that on last week's Weekly Buddy Time, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, if that's a concern for you, maybe skip the fourth episode. Well, I mean, and honestly, <laughs> like, uh, I feel like we've been pretty positive on this whole thing. And I think yeah. that watching it in its entirety is an incredible experience. But I kind of also feel like you could watch, like, there's five episodes. I think you could watch one, two, and five. And yeah. be fine. Because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in those middle episodes that is really interesting. But, like, uh, this morning, like, we finished it last night. And did we? Yeah, last yes. night. Yes, And, like, when I woke up this morning, I was still thinking about it. And I felt, like, kind of dissatisfied at the number of, like, threads that they didn't gather back up and make neat. Like, yeah. the, whole, uh, the whole Pavel storyline where, you know, he's just, like, this guy shooting dogs. I feel like... That was just an, I get what they were doing. I get what he represented and what he portrayed and that worked. But also I wanted to see an actual arc for him. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, like, there's a bunch of that kind of thing where I'm just like, I just want to, I don't want to know what happens. I just want an arc. And there were a lot of unarced things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost think they could have like made it even longer 
so that yes. they could um I feel like five episodes was almost too short to tell the entirety of the story. And so I think a lot of things kind of got, you know, showcased for a little bit and then sort of dropped off the radar because it was easier just to show you that little snippet than to try and, like, piece it out. Right. In that amount of time. I think it would have been really interesting because, I mean, they talk about it. They talk about the fact that they're you know, hundreds of thousands of people who suffered from radiation or had cancers related to this or blah, blah, blah. But I feel like it would have been fascinating to like, you know, flash forward to modern day and like show how people living in that area are still having to deal with the, you know, with the after effects of all this, you know, and like just demonstrate the fact that there's still people dying and this is still a, you know, dangerous area that you can't get near. And, you know, it like, it would have been like, they said that, but I feel like that was a situation where they could have showed me instead of told me, and it would have been more effective. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, and this is kind of like arguing a super moot point because, you know, there were only five episodes, but I I don't know that I would have wanted to see that stuff as much as I just would have wanted more time with the immediate, uh, like the immediate investigation and the cleanup. I think you could have probably taken it to like 13 episodes and then like given more like, uh, uncompressing the whole science scientist role. Like instead of just having the two scientists actually have dozens and have like team interactions if yeah. you kind of stretch it out and then you could have tied up some arcs. Um, I mean, I just like the, I forget the name of the big nose soldier that took Pavel under his wing, but like, yeah. I just oh, yeah. want to see, I just wanted to see him do more stuff. <laughs> yeah. He was really that. good. I wanted something good to happen in his life. Like, I know, I know. <laughs> I just want good things for you. And you're walking through radiation areas and I just yeah. don't see good things for you. <laughs> I mean, he got all the vodka that he wanted. That's true. So there's that. Yeah, and he had uh, like lead foil around his junk. So he was yeah, probably, he's probably, die. probably fine. He's um, probably fine. I think alive it's today. really interesting that like Russia still like their death count is like people that died from the main explosion or that right. night. Like it's like 30 something as opposed to like the thousands of people who have had cancer and died because they were in close proximity for so long. Because I it's been a couple of, I think it's been a week or two since I've seen it. But, like, it took them three or four days to evacuate. Even, yes. like, even, it's just, I mean, just so many things where they could have <laughs> made better choices with their lives. Right, um, right. But, yeah. like, and, like, they told them all they were coming back in three days, which is why everything looked like they just got up and left it. Because they did, they were only allowed to bring, like, a suitcase and yeah. they were going to be gone for three days. And then they just built them a new thing that probably looks just like what Pripyat looked like. Yeah, that, that's fucking hilarious. They just there. built another Pripyat, like, <laughs> yeah. upwind. Or down, uh, yeah, upwind, so that, like, it wasn't irradiated. Yeah. And then, like, right. a lot of people, like, still went to work at Chernobyl because Chernobyl didn't stop operating until recently. Yeah. I think yeah. they said the last... Um, uh, the last one got shut down in like 2000, maybe 2005, something like that. Yeah. The last. Um, it was later than that, but I don't have the link handy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, people, I think, still work there, but the last, um, they stopped using the actual 
Um, I don't know uh, what I'm saying. According to this, uh, according to this article, the reactors one to three entered decommissioning in 2015. So oh, I, I think it's been bad. like the real recently yeah. that they stopped using Very it, recently. which is insane to think about. Like you got this massive exclusion zone where, you know, the people should not be, oh, well, you know, let's go, go back to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it's very telling, you know, that kind of the difference in the way that the countries have approached this sort of thing, because, you know, there's plenty of people who have been exposed to radiation and have died from radiation exposure in the United States. Um, I, I ended up going down a rabbit hole last night looking up like people who were exposed to radiation in the U S as part of the nuclear weapons program. And so essentially a hundred, this, and this is from a website, which I can put in show notes if we need to 107,394 American workers have contracted cancer and other serious diseases since 1945, um, from working in these weapon plants of these people, 53,000 have actually gone through a process and have been given, uh, like, compensation for like, Hey, yes, we recognize that we were at fault and we are giving you money. Uh, and the government has paid $12 billion in compensation for this. So that's, I think kind of like the major difference yeah. <laughs> between like what Russia did and what Soviets did and, and what the U S like, U.S. is like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> this sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> this was, this was not a good thing. Um, here's some money. <laughs> you know? yeah, like I- we, we recognize that this was a bad thing. And that's, that's interesting too, from a higher level, because I mean, like the Soviet way was this sucks, but you have to do it because if you don't, everybody will die. Right. So shrug. And then like the U S way was like, Oh, well, sorry. Here's some money, I guess. (laughs) There's definitely not like an appeal to a higher, a higher anything in in that latter one. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) It's like, Well, we, this was not a good thing. So like, we'll just buy oh, you out. It's fine. Oh, my bad. Here's a couple dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Oh, yeah. Here's yeah. some money to rub away that cancer. <laughs> yeah. So, so so sorry. So sorry. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, but I do have a couple of questions because you guys have listened to the other podcast. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the very beginning of the show, we have a head scientist guy. I'm not going to try to tell and say anyone's <laughs> names. Head scientist guy has is is recording stuff on cassettes and then he puts them all in like a brick wall. He has mm-hmm. like a series of cassettes. He puts them on a brick wall and then like covers it up and then goes and hangs himself. Spoilers. Um what what was that? What was that? <laughs> like um, I don't it feel was, like they ever came back to that. It was supposed to be like his findings and his um what, it was his memoirs. Yeah, it was his memoirs, basically. And it didn't okay. happen exactly like that. They were just, like, I think he gave them out to his, you know, friends and colleagues before okay. it happened. And yeah. I don't know that it was, like, recorded on, you know, but... Cassettes. It, it, yeah. was, it was tapes. Um, oh, was it? And okay. And the... Uh, nobody... There's no, like, record of how the tapes were disseminated, but the the, the short story is that uh, Legislav actually had been like a very loyal up up and like upstanding communist, like member of the party. He was like, you know, yeah, his dad was really high up. Died in the wood. Died Died in in the the wool. wool. (laughs) Yes. That's the one. So like, and (laughs) 
what was kind of shocking was as time went on, the party got increasingly nervous because he seemed more and more like he was going to spill the beans to the international community and they really didn't Mm. want that to happen. And so he like, as time wore on over the next couple of years, he just got sicker and sicker. Um, Nobody would talk to him anymore. He was cut out of like awards. Like he wasn't awarded for his work at Chernobyl because they were just like trying to erase him essentially. And like, they didn't fire him, but he was basically like the guy that was supposed to be elected president of the college or whatever because of his record. And he wasn't just because he was blackballed and shut down. And so he recorded those tapes and he disseminated them somehow and hung himself. And allegedly that kind of person from that kind of pedigree with that much success shouldn't like go dark and then kill themselves. And so that, like that, plus the tapes was enough to kind of like get people to talk more. And that's kind of how more stuff came out. Okay. Gotcha. He did die. He did die on that day. The, uh, like at the hour and minute conceit of the show was like for dramatic effect, but, um, he did hang us up on the anniversary day. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my other question which I just don't know because I don't know enough about radiation and all of that is can you really just like negate the effects of radiation by burying people in concrete? <laughs> like, is that a thing? Like concrete can stop radiation? I don't know enough to answer that. The only thing I think is that like it's, it keeps it from, um, being in like the ground where it could leak into like water Everything sources okay. and stuff. I well, think that I, I, don't, okay. I don't think it's that as much as um, concrete is a very effective barrier from radiation because what what you need to block radiation is mass. You just need a lot of stuff oh. between you and the radiation source. Yeah. Um, there is kind of like a distance limit, but it's also impacted by like the number, like the number and kinds of atoms that radiation has to go through before it gets to your atoms is super important. So that's why lead's important and used a lot because it's like super duper dense. Um, I know that like giant water tanks have been used as radiation shielding in some circumstances. Like that's kind of the thing there is one, you don't want people just digging it up, but two, if you surround it in concrete, just less radiation is going to get all the way through that concrete. Cause you know, all those gotcha. tiny bullets that are being fired will be stopped by something mostly before they get to you. Okay. That makes sense then. Was that, was that your Q and a? Yeah, that was, those, those were my two <laughs> <Yeah>. questions. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, uh, we're at an hour here. Um, does anybody got any closing thoughts or anything else they want to throw in before we adjourn? I can't think of anything. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, and I am not, like, going in knowing that it was going to be super sad and depressing. Um, sometimes it's not my not my gig, but I really, really enjoyed all of it. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat there, and I'm also, like, highly protective of my free time. So, like, mm-hmm. when me and Devin decide to watch something, it has to, like... It's, yeah. it's a real Hunger Games sort of situation on the couch where if yeah. you aren't, if the show isn't keeping up, we'll drop it pretty quick. And yeah, um, I mean, we've had people ask, like, why would you watch that? It's just depressing. And I think that the way the first episode grabs you with the mm-hmm. rhetorical like conceit that there's this, I don't know, battle, like there's this tension, there's this balance between like truth and lies. 
And like, I think that's what really grabbed me. And then the fact that it turned into like alien there for a little while kind of kept me. Yeah. Kind of kept me in. Yeah. I have an obsession with just like kind of post-apocalyptic types of stories and, you know, or into the world types of scenarios. So this definitely scratched that itch for me. Like, I mean, you can't get more dire than what they were setting up there. And it was even more, you know, powerful because it was something that actually happened as opposed to something that someone imagined. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, really, it was, it was very bleak and depressing and it made my heart hurt, but it was also very, very, very good. Yep. Yep. Agree. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks for playing guys. I appreciate, uh, appreciate y'all coming out. Thank you. Well, thanks for this. Thank uh, you for having what, 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 what is this? The Hoots Media AV Club? Um, yeah. <laughs> we're starting here. Cool. All right. Uh, Lisa, do you have anything you want to pimp before we, uh, we turn off? Um, you can always go listen to OK But Why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I think the and most you should, recent one. Because it's yes, a great one. You should because it's amazing. Go. I think the most recent one is Guns. Um, yeah. Another one should go up sometime soon. <laughs> when i um when i record it and then edit it um <laughs> but yeah it's um okay but why all right and Devin, what do you got well uh i've got weekly buddy time as always so weeklybuddytime.com um but i just started a new podcast that you can find at teaandchocolate.net <laughs> i get domains for all my things apparently but it's a it's a daily podcast it's inspirational it's me talking in a very soothing voice so maybe you can go to sleep to it um yeah All right, also right. send me send me quotes because i don't have any i'm running out of quotes <laughs> apparently dove chocolate uh reprints their quotes and i like literally got the same quote twice in a row earlier tonight so i need any quotes <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I'm Thomas. You can always find me and James over at uh, We Tried, where we try to fix things and usually do very good jobs at it. And Patrick. And Patrick. <laughs> Wait, is Patrick still around? Grace. <laughs> Wait, is Patrick on that show? <laughs> Wait, is he really? I didn't. I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the Hayseed Sirens were called. anyway uh i'm clearly fried from all that radiation i absorbed from the television Uh, so i think that's it guys Uh, thanks for having us thank you thanks let you do your cool little and then your intro what (laughs) that was that was my impression of your of your intro music thomas what (laughs) oh my god a hoots media production